Plus Spooky Succubus cast. It's my spooky voice. I love it. I love your spooky voice. I think you made a face like you don't love it. I love uh, it. Okay. Welcome to the cast. This is Abby and Rebecca reporting live from our depression dens. Um, What, you're not? Yeah, I mean, okay, yeah. <laughs> I think my depression den is my bedroom. And Actually, is... that is my depression den away from home. Look at that. This is your Arizona <laughs> depression den. Love exactly. it. Uh, reporting live from my depression dens. Uh, so this is an anti-racist, anti-capitalist, intersectional feminist, communist podcast about horror movies. Sometimes I say horror movie about podcasts, which is Horror involved, movie about podcasts. Which isn't right. Uh, um, and today we're talking about a big one, a beloved one. I think maybe one of my favorite horror movies, like ever. It's so scary. It's good. This it's a really good movie, and it's like one of the scariest movies we've ever covered. One of the scariest horror movies of modern times. Um, it it's pretty scary. Follows. It follows. It follows. What is it? I don't know, but it's fucking sun. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's got an edible complex. Okay. Ooh. Spoilers. Spoiler alert. Yikes. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's like, it's giving us Carpenter. It's giving us, like, <sighs> it's ambient. Kubrick. It's, it's atmospheric. It's atmospheric. It exists outside of space and time. It's amazing. Um, it's also yeah. giving us some problematic class dynamics and um issues with how we talk about, uh, you know, inner cities and sex workers. Let's get into it. And suburbs. Mm. <sighs> suburbs are like such a weird phenomenon. Um, I was just watching a TikTok about like the worst, um like urban layouts in America and Phoenix is one of them because it's like maybe the least walkable city you could ever imagine. Um, and all of Arizona. Yeah. Uh, all of Arizona, you have to have a car like in the central downtown area, especially like it's easy for bikes to get around. Like they made a push a few years ago to make it really bike friendly, but then the summers are so hot, et cetera. It's hard. It's difficult to ride a bike all year long. But um, what about like, is the bus system in any way reliable? Look who's sneakily sneaking in to get his airplanes. Hi, Adam. Uh, well, he, he can't just, like, come in and grab something. He has to do, like, a sneaky walk, like... Like the Pink Panther, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, the buses, and we do have, like, a monorail, but it sucks. It, like, only goes one. Oh, yeah. It goes, like, one place, right? I think we drove by it. Yeah. But anyway... Uh, and that's, like, yeah, part of the problem is that then everybody lives in the suburbs and the parts of the city that could be taken up by housing um, and, mm-hmm. like, cultural planning aren't, like, and they, empty lots or warehouses. Or, or these, like, crazy, like, sprawling estates with, like, more land than you can ever need in Arizona because, like, it's just gravel in most of those places. It's also weird because... Uh, Arizona has more land than more land and more sky than most like like 
American cities and it's a huge city. It's one of the fastest growing cities and it has so many of those things that other cities wish they had. Like if only Boston could build every apartment complex 27 feet high, you know, like it would be Don't their even dream. Don't say that. Oh my God, it would be awful here. It's already awful here. It's already so cramped. But yeah, so Phoenix has so much land, so much sky, so much potential. Um, and yet we're just like, let's make it more industrial. Let's make it harder for people to afford housing. Let's make our unhoused community like sweep them farther out into the suburbs where they have less resources and less ability to be cared for. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're talking about what Detroit's talking problems about? today. Um, it I've follows. never been to Detroit, have you? No. I've never been to Michigan. Uh, the closest I've ever either. been is Wisconsin. What were you but, doing in Wisconsin? Uh, one of my friends lived there, moved here, and then moved back. So I used to go and visit her. So I, that was the first time I ever got drunk was um, in somebody's basement in Wisconsin. Oh, yeah, you told me that. Well, brag, mm-hmm. Rebecca has friends. I got friends. Uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, It Follows, directed by David Robert Mitchell. He sounds like an interesting, mentally unstable man. Hey, let's be friends. I don't know. I, what's his other works like? He did... I don't know. I think this is his biggest project for sure. He did Under the Silver Lake, which I haven't seen, but I think I've heard good things about it. Um, He's working on a short. They really did him dirty with a photo of him they put on his Wikipedia page. Not polite. Oh, what does it look like? This one's okay. The one on his IMDb is good. No, on Wikipedia, he's like at a Comic-Con or something with holding a microphone in an awkward way with his tongue half out. It's like not <laughs> uh, He's got an interesting sort of bowl cut. Get that together. It's um, like a it's like a '90s Justin Long cut. Yes, I do I love, love Justin, you, Justin Long. Long. Okay, so we open on a on a suburban street um, at like dusk. Uh, it instantly was like Virgin Suicides. It even looks like the Virgin Suicides house, the house she runs out of. It does kind of, it has, yeah, that, like, uh, Midwestern, like, suburban, tree-lined, like, fall leaves, like, Halloween sort of house. Actually, it kind of, like, had a lot of virgin suicides energy, like, how they would all, well, they, remember when they get, like, grounded and they all have to stay upstairs, so they all are just, like, sleeping in the same room on top of each other? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like in this movie when they're all just napping in Jay's room. There's a lot like of trees, like, sitting everywhere. on the front lawn, too. Yeah, totally. Um, so, Suburban Street, at dusk. A young woman runs out of her front door, like, uh, in, like, a nice outfit and heels. She's panicked. She looks back and slows down. A neighbor and her father both ask if she's okay. She says she is, but she still looks disturbed. She, like, circles around the street. Um, as ca- camera follows her, she runs back into her house as her confused father follows. A second later, she runs to her car and speedily drives away. Um, she sits on the beach with her back to the ocean and her headlights pointed at her. Uh, she answers her father's phone call, says she loves him and her mother, and apologizes for being a shit. The next scene is of her dead, mutilated body on the same beach. Her leg is bent backwards at the knee. Very, like, and a lot of these movies, really this movie is like... Yeah. Um, there's no real transition. You're going from like one scene directly into the next scene, and so yeah. that's what it does. Like the, those 360 around. shots really fuck me up too. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. scary. 
Um, and then we're on a young woman, Jay, who's taking a dip in a dirt. They need to clean that above ground pool before I would ever go in it. Like, I it's dirty. I would not go in it either. Um, but maybe that's a... Sorry, I was I burping. Excuse How many you. times... A Will we burp? How many times do we burp during this podcast? Yeah, well, I think that's like... This part of movie the has you like... Yeah, it's part of the coding. And this movie has you so hyper attuned to like details in its landscape yeah that you just are like what does it mean but i think (laughs) some of it is like this nebulous like discomfort that it's building in like it's like the shining there's elements built in just to make us uncomfortable and some of it is class coding and then yeah some of it is like genuine terror which i think is why this movie is so good it's very good um her sister Kelly invites her to watch a movie with her friends, but she's got a date. Jay and her date Hugh wait in line at the movies and play um, like a trading places game where you have to like look at the crowd and pick who you would trade places with. And then the other person has to guess who you would trade with. Uh, they are in the theater and they're waiting for it to start. And the organ is playing like a little old man is playing like the organ music. It, it what happened to that? It reminds me of the Coolidge. I I haven't been to the Coolidge since the pandemic. I don't know. Give organists work, you know? Yeah, guys. Um, Hugh point. So it's um, Jay's turn to pick who she would trade places with. And Hugh points out a girl in a yellow dress. But Jay doesn't see her. Or anyone where he's pointing. He gets freaked out and they leave quickly and go to dinner instead. On their next date, he takes her to a lake at night. It's like a beach. Uh, They make out on the shore and then go back to the car to have sex. Afterwards... It's kind of weird that they left the, like, nice idyllic scenery to go fuck outside of a warehouse, but I guess Hugh is not really, like, concerned with that. Not really concerned with mood setting at this moment. No, he's not. It's... I wouldn't want to fuck in the sand. No blanket? No thanks. Well, I just meant, why is the car parked so far away from the beach? Why do you have to look at a fucking, like... You know, decrepit well, power plant or whatever. I think he wanted her near so that he could wheel her in there afterwards. I know, but it's <laughs> not nice. It's not nice scenery. Whatever. Uh, so after they have sex, she waxes poetically about um, how she was younger. She would daydream about getting older and going on dates um, and taking drives. He uh, crawls up behind her in the car back seat and chloroforms her. She comes to tied to a wheelchair in an abandoned like parking garage. Hugh says he won't hurt her, but this thing is going to follow her. Uh, he got it from someone and he gave it to her when they had sex. It can look like a stranger or someone you know, but there's only one of it. He pushes t- her to the edge and says he can see it. A naked young woman eerily approaches. He tells her to give it to someone as soon as she can. If it kills her, it'll come back for him. The naked woman slowly approaches them. He says, never go anywhere with one exit. It's slow, but it's not dumb. They rush out of the parking garage, and he literally drops her on the curb at her house. Kelly and her friends, Paul and Yara, sit on the porch drinking and playing cards. Jay stumbles onto the lawn. They call the cops. Jay tells them about the interaction, but says that the sex was consensual. Wrong, it wasn't. Jay uh, has been checked out, and she says... Uh, the doctors say she didn't contract any STIs, and Hugh gave her a fake name and left his place in the city. 
uh, in class. I think she's in college, like community college. She's in like, community college. It's called like Oak Oakland University or something. Um, she's in class and her teacher is reading uh, T.S. Eliot. J.C.'s across the lawn, an old person in a hospital gown heading straight for her. She gets out of class, uh, runs out of class and out into the hall, but it, but it is following her. She drives to the ice cream parlor where Kelly and Paul work, tells them about the old woman and what Hugh said. Paul, who's got definitely got a thing for Jay, uh, put that boner away. My you gotta God. go. He's, no, uh, he's like the cutest little cutie. I like thought he was so cute since United States of Terra. But and he's again, like, yeah. He's like another one that just like he's another Justin Long. He just stays he is a Justin Long the same age placeholder. So cute. Um, I yes, mean, he's... I think of him as like cute, like a baby is cute though, not cute like he... someone I want to have sex with. So, yeah, Kieran Gilchrist, who was in the United States of Terra, our beloved TV show that um, I, I don't think I can watch. ever watch again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a tough one. But that's also, like, yeah, like Brie Larson. Intense. That's so good. Yeah. It's so good. It's, and, uh, Brie Larson was really, really good on it. And, uh, yeah, so is Kieran Gilchrist. And, I mean, Tony Collette is my queen, but she's this one great just and was, everything. It was, like, a little too... Intense. It was bad. It's like bad mental illness coding for sure. But like, I just really enjoyed the show. Oh my god! And John Corbett, <sighs> love yeah. him. What Man. a good cast. Such a good. Yeah, cast. it's it's really it's like irresponsible mental illness coding for sure though. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So Paul's got the hots for Jay and offers to spend the night on their couch to keep a lookout. Jay can't sleep and joins Paul on the couch and that night. They talk about each them being each other's first kisses and reminisce, reminisce about their childhood and finding porn and sitting on Greg, the next door, the across the street, oh God, across the street neighbor's lawn oh, and no. reading it. Um, they hear a glass break and there is a broken window in the kitchen, but Paul doesn't see anyone there. When he leaves to get Kelly upstairs, Jay goes to the kitchen and it is there, urinating and disheveled this looking is as a young woman. The scariest version of it. Um, I think, I think the, tall the tall guy. Man. The, the tall, tall guy man is so scary. That's the scariest one. Oh my god, it's so freaky. Oof. Um. So Jay like screams. When he, well, we'll get to it in a minute, but like when the tall man just walks in and he like ducks it, underneath, yeah, behind it's Yara, so scary. it's so creepy. Yeah. Uh, so Jay screams, runs upstairs, locking herself in her room. Kelly and Paul tell her there is nothing to worry about. No one is in the house. Yara knocks on the door and they open it. But just behind her, a tall man with like black eyes, like all the eyes of it are always like sort of blackened. Hollowed out. Yeah. Um, uh, like ducks under the door to get in and follows it her, follows Yara into the room, but no one can see her except for Jay. She runs screaming out onto the deck, climbs down and rides the, her bike to the park and sits on a swing. Um, the three friends go to the park to find her, followed by their neighbor and ex friend. They never really explain what he did, that why they all hate him now. But well, he's back in the gang now. So he's that's in all the he's matters. in the Scooby Gang. Um, Greg also comes to the park. Greg played by um, the only person of color with lines. Uh, Daniel uh, Zavato, who Zavato, is hot yeah. to try. Wow, hotty, cutie, cute, cute. Um, I feel weird saying like he's so hot because he looks like he's ten. 
but he's 30. We're good. We're good. He's older than me. Or at my same age, pretty basically, exactly. He um, actually is slightly older than you because his date of birth is June 28th, 1991. Wow. We're so close in age. That's weird. I think he's also a cancer then, right? Weird. Uh, yeah, I think so. He's so hot. It's kind of stupid. Yeah, that they made, they really demonized the only like light skinned brown man in this movie. Anyway, so, um, okay, so they're at the park. Greg's there. He's like, "What the fuck is going on?" Jay doesn't want to go home and wants to go find Hugh instead. All five of them take Greg's car to Hugh's abandoned house that he rented in the city. They're makeshift alarms made out of bottles and cans hung over the window. Paul finds a picture of Hugh from high school tucked into porn magazines by Hugh's bed. He suggests they go to the high school because he's like has his arm around a girl who's wearing a like a varsity jacket. They uh, Paul suggests they go to the high school and see if anyone knows his real name. Greg and Jay go into the school and look at somebody shows them an old yearbook. They go. His name is Jeff Redmond. Um, Paul suggests they go to the police, but Jay doesn't want to. They go to his house instead um, and call for him. They all sit out on his front lawn and he tells him that he's still in, j- in danger and Jay has to do what he did and sleep with someone. Um, it walks everywhere and if she drives somewhere far, maybe it'll buy her enough time to think. Uh, they drive up to drive, drive up north, like North Michigan, to Greg's dad's cabin. Greg and Jay have target practice, and he apologizes for not being nice to her before. I don't know exactly why. I have a theory, but I don't know. Uh, Later, they all hang out on the beach, uh, and Greg goes off to pee. Relatable. Uh, From behind Jay, we see someone approaching, a young woman approaching, um, but no one else can see her. Her hair stands up on its own, and Paul picks up a lawn chair and hits the invisible person. Um, and he's pushed back and he has a slash across his abdomen. Jay, Paul, Yara, and Kelly hide in the tool shed. Jay shoots at it just as Greg, who is peeing, approaches. She calls, he calls for them to stop shooting. Jay hits it in the neck and it falls down but gets back up immediately. They lock the door to the shed. Greg pounds from the outside and breaks a hole in the bottom of the door. And he says nothing's out there, but when he moves away from the door... A gangly boy with hollowed out eyes screeches and crawls inside. It's one of the neighborhood boys. Yeah, it's like, looks like one of the, like, young creepy boys who were looking in on her while she's swimming so in the pool. so creepy. Uh, and earlier, Hugh said that he thinks that it takes on, it takes on appearances of people that they know to fuck with them. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh... Jay runs out the other exit, steals Greg's car, and uh, they all chase her out and call after her, but she drives away panicked. She nearly collides with a truck, but swerves into a cornfield. She comes to in a hospital, safe for the moment. That night, Greg, Greg and Jay have sex in the hospital bed. Why? Don't. No. <sighs> yeah. No. No. Three days later, Jay is still in the hospital, and Greg assures her he hasn't seen anything. Jay is, uh, when Jay gets out, she's swimming in her pool again. Greg comes over to see her, but Kelly, Yara, and Paul gatekeep and won't let him in. He tells them he hasn't seen anything. Greg is adamant he isn't lying. Um, Paul is defensive that the chair broke something in midair and that uh, Jay couldn't have made it up. 
from her bedroom window that night, Jay sees it breaking into Greg's house, and it looks like Greg. It's like takes on Greg's appearance. It's really scary. Or it's not like it's also eerie because it doesn't look exactly like the people that it's like pretending yeah. to be, but it looks like uncannily like them, like ju- yeah. just like subtle differences. Like the yeah. it on the beach looks kind of like Yara, but like slightly different. It's it's, it's like very Yara, creepy. but it has different mannerisms and like walks differently and but... like slightly different. Like yeah, like a slightly different build. And yeah, the Greg has like yeah. slightly different hair. And yeah, it's so weird. Um, yeah. It tries the door and then breaks the window. Jay calls to him, but calls him on the phone, but he doesn't answer. She runs across the street. Climbs into the window and up the stairs to his room. Um, it has taken on the look of Greg's mom um, and is dressed in a silk white robe and no bra with like its breasts exposed. It knocks on the that's door. Like a, that's like a middle aged lady. Her boobs are so nice. I know. Very round. It's kind of um, insane. Yeah. It knocks on the door and then Jay calls for Greg not to open it, but he's like, presumably half asleep and thinks it's his mom. He opens it. It jumps through the door and then rapes him to death. Uh, Jay runs and drives. It's very bad. Uh, Jay runs and drives to the beach. Uh, After taking a swim, she comes back home. Paul comes over and offers to sleep with her. Uh, He says he liked her too and asks why she picked Greg. She says he didn't seem scared and they slept together in high school. So it wasn't a big deal. Paul tries to kiss her and she says, and he says he wants to help. Jay, Paul, Kelly, and Yara drive to the local pool um, and break in. As they drive away from the house, oh no, as they drive away from the house, Jay sees it as a naked man on her roof. Also very creepy. Um, uh, at the pool, they plug in every electronic device they could find. They've got lamps, they've got it's an so electric typewriter they found so somewhere. So cute. I love it. Uh, Jay waits in the pool for it to arrive, hoping it will follow her into the pool so they can electrocute it. It doesn't, it's not a great plan, guys. No. It's not, not, like, worth all those electronics dying, I think. Some of uh, them are cute and fun and worth a few bucks. And Jay cannot swim that fast. We'll find out later. But, like, this is not, this plan hinges on her getting out of the water quickly and she can't do that. Well, her arm is broken. Yeah, that's why it's not a good plan. Uh, so Jay wait, is waiting in the pool, uh, and she sees it coming through the door, but the others, and we can't. It starts throwing objects at her, and Paul starts shooting at it blindly. He can't see it, and he's shooting at it. He accidentally shoots Yara in the leg. Kelly throws a sheet over it, and Paul shoots it in the head, knocking it into the pool. Jay tries to swim out, but it grabs her before she can. Paul again blindly shoots into the pool and gets it in the head. It let goes lets go of Jay's leg. Um, and then Jay sees the pool filling with blood, but no one else does. And then back at home, Jay and Paul have sex. Why? Again, don't do that. Jay finds a sex worker. Uh, he drives through like a sort of dilapidated street, presumably in Detroit, finds a sex worker. Jay and Paul visit Yara in the hospital, and she reads to them from The Idiot. Um, And then Jay and Paul walk hand in hand as someone, we don't know, it or regular person, walks behind them. The end. The end. Very good movie. Very scary. Super Uh, scary. Yeah, super atmospheric. Really, like, 
fucks with your head. The elements that keep us super unsettled are, like, the seasonal changes. You never know, because, like, Jay is going from, like, swimming to being in a full winter coat, and everybody's clothing is really inconsistent about, like, what temperature it is outside. So it Mm -hmm. feels really, like, disorienting. And you also don't know what time period it is, because everything is styled, like, it's the 70s or 80s. But then they have, like, modern-looking clothing, and then Yara has, like, her little birth control Kindle that she reads off of. They're her so, little clamshell. Her clamshell. So, yeah, it's really, like, it's super disorienting. and But also, the styling in this movie is perfect. It's, uh... Yeah, it's yeah, it's like always fall. It looks like fall, but then they're at the beach laying in the sun as if it's like summertime. Yeah, but, and, and like then Yara swims in the water, but then you see Jay like on the sidewalk in a full winter coat. And tell me that side sidewalk wasn't just like Haddonfield all over it. Right. And then so yeah, like Kelly good. even in the beginning, Kelly and Jay are walking side by side. Jay's wearing a winter coat and Kelly's and like Kelly's in shorts. Wearing shorts, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but there so I watched a like very short video essay um on this movie by Haley Kahn, who um quotes J. Carol Clover and her body himself. That a slasher has five things, killer, locale, victims, weapons, and shock effect. And that this Mm -hmm. is, for the most part, a pretty straightforward slasher. Has, like, all of those things. And it's got, we were talking about this off air, but it's so subtle, but also has a lot of complexity and a lot of layers. But it's got a killer. It's got a very scary, very sinister killer. And the locations are, like, kind of what we've been, like, build the atmosphere is what we've been talking about. They're, like... If there are no people in them, they are completely desolate. Like the parking garage, the like the abandoned house, the beach, like everything has absolutely zero people in it. And it feels so lonely and so contained. Um, and then when it, you are in a crowded, like a crowd of people, like when Jay sees it coming to her for the first time, there's like people all over the lawn, but it's sinister because you're looking for mm-hmm. something to follow her. It's like just the world well, building some, is like... really impressive. The world building is really impressive. There's one moment that really was, like, really scary when they're leaving Jeff Redmond's high school. And it's, like, not supposed to be set up as, like, a scary scene. They're just chatting in the car. But as you pull out, you see, like, a student walking directly towards them extremely slowly. And there's so many moments where, like, its mannerisms are so close to human that it could be any one at any time within these like 360 shots that um mitchell creates which are like really really scary Mm -hmm. and even i mean it's stunning cinematography it's like brilliant great uh when they're sitting on the lawn talking to hugh it's like a girl walks by like innocently walking home from like looks like i don't know practice and then he's like do you see her like it's like a constant fear like there's an ever-present dread which i think also um is purposeful in that this movie is talking about rape culture and sexual assault and its prevalence in our society and our vulnerability to it it also so many of the shots are set up as cyclical like they sit in a circle in that shot you have the 360 shots you have images of like even just like 
you see round garbage cans, the round pool, like you see like circles built into the aesthetic of the movie because like we're addressing something that is so cyclical. Like you we're talking about rape culture, we're talking about the sort of Ouroboros of like STI stigma and sex mm-hmm. stigma that just keeps eating its own tail and like being this constant undercurrent in society. So I don't know. I think we sound really smart right now. <laughs> so as smart. Um, yeah, I think like uh, another. So I read like two articles. Can you Beefy. believe it? Can you even believe it? Um, one of them, um, it follows in rape culture, critical response and disavowal by uh, Leslie A. Hayner and Scott Varda. Um, but they we're discussing that only 7% of like critical reviews mentioned rape culture or like sexual assault and consent is like major themes in this movie. So I think even though it is a very beautiful movie, a lot of people got that and a lot of people thought it was scary, but are maybe missing the entire, like it's not like subtle about the fact that it's about rape and consent. They make it really obvious that that's like a big through line in this movie. So it's kind of upsetting that a lot of people didn't get that. Yeah, I think that people just got so reductive with it. And they're like, oh, it's obviously, you know, commentary on the HIV AIDS, like, epidemic. Because it's about a, like, sexually transmitted infection. But it's like, sure, I don't know. Sure, like, that is, that is a parallel that exists. But it's so much more... (laughs) about like the cyclical nature of you know rape culture and how like you know false reporting happens or like the line between consent and like a violent sexual assault is so blurred because we are like conditioned for it to be this way so yeah I think it's there's so much like more subtlety and undercurrent to this the way that it talks about like rape culture and I think what is really interesting is the director sort of just did it like the idea of it being like transmitted via sexual intercourse was something that just followed the original concept which was he just like had a nightmare about something following him and then this was a really interesting application for that theory right I think like and it also ties back to the slasher genre where like sex and violence are conflated and tied entirely like from right like if we're saying this borrows really heavily from halloween what are our first scenes of halloween it's like a young woman being like having consensual section sex and then immediately becoming like an object and murdered right but right and i think a lot of it felt really scary and really real because like as a woman, when you're walking alone in a situation where there, even when there are a lot of people and there aren't a lot of people, you're like constantly like when you're by yourself or when you're not by yourself, you're like, is there someone around who's like a threat to me? Also like like, one of the most terrifying elements of the movie is like the double life of Hugh slash Jeff Redman, because that is Mm. like so terrifying, especially like, when they go to his house and uncover, like, sort of his base of operations while he was manipulating Jay to get her to do what he wanted him to do so that he could, like, you know, meet his own self-serving ends. Like, being the recipient of that kind of, like, massive manipulation. And like you said, 
like, when she tells the cops it is consensual because it's black and white, technically, I guess. Yes, she consented to sleeping with Hugh, but she didn't know how, like, deep of a manipulation he was kind of establishing on her. And so I I would say she didn't consent to (laughs) what happened to her, obviously. No, yeah, it's there's so many like there's so much more complexity to how the question of consent works in a situation like this and like many of the sexual assaults that like women and like people with vaginas and they thems in our demographic have experienced because like if the consent like if it's not of like an overtly violent act, there's like no reason to presume it wasn't consensual even when there is a violent attack yeah don't and then there's you know marital rape is something that occurs and something that is extremely difficult to investigate and or not to investigate you can fucking investigate it but cops don't give a shit they don't care it's hard to bring to a jury and get a conviction for which is a bunch of bullshit which is like part of our society part of our heteronormativity is that women are objects for men to manipulate and a manipulation like a rape of deception is rape he didn't tell her the entire story and falsely acquired consent is rape like that's what it is and it's yeah it's so like that's the most because this like nebulous sort of like supernatural creature following you because it wants to kill you it is something that's like easier to stomach in some ways than imagining that someone would like in such a sinister unhinged way like set a woman up to use her and like again acquire false consent and put her in this position which is something that like very much really happens whereas you know a nebulous supernatural being chasing you down to try to kill you is not real it's just death it's just death (laughs) Uh, and it, yeah, is like a allegory for death. It goes, harkens back to like these literary themes that it's like referencing. Lazarus, but, yeah. Yeah. But uh, like, I think Hugh Jeff as a character is so callous and so selfish and so scary. Like, those are the kinds of men that are terrifying to people like me. That's what's scary. Like, he yeah. manipulates her rapes her and then dumps her on her front lawn like violently and then drives off into the night and hoping that they'll never find him like and that and whatever happens to her to like find him and obviously like jay is extremely traumatized by the experience and he still is like completely callous like you know completely unre- like unrepentant about what he's done and still like you know, operating from his own self-interest, which is... Like, we shouldn't be in the same place together because it's, yeah, like, that's bad for me. Right. Uh, and Jay is also, a, like, a complex vic- victim. Like, she is immediately... People don't believe her. She is immediately seen as hysterical and in needing of saving and help. But she's also, like, doomed two of her friends to her same fate. And she's being honest with them, but they, like, don't believe her. So Greg doesn't believe her to the point that he, like, dies immediately because of it. Like, he yeah. is punished by his disbelief of a victim and then raped to death. Like, that is, it's violent. I don't, yeah. it's. Yeah, it's, I think, 
this kind of brings up the intersection of like the demonization of the slut and classism like Jay is poor her mother is coded as a drunk like with these really really specific cultural markers that definitely aren't subtle so they're definitely super intentional like falling asleep with their shoes on and then you see the wine bottle and the cigarette with red lipstick those are like such specific markers to point us towards classism so Greg who we can assume is like a better situated socioeconomically because he and his mom watch Jay the night the police come to like question her about her assault and her mom Jay's mom says you know they're those people are such a mess like they're mm-hmm. a known quantity of poor classless you know and deserving of any like fates that happen to them because like Greg's mom is not sympathetic like they're a mess read they whatever happens to them they're deserving of because of their socioeconomic status so Greg is already in a position to be sort of like it's kind of strange right because he's sort of like socioeconomically like positioned in the savior complex to sort of like sweep Jay off her feet and protect her uh but then he's, he's also got a like car the only because he's got a car but then he's also the only person of color and he's sort of demonized for not believing her violently like you said yeah so it's sort of like this inherent like race class dynamic where I don't know you know like we as a culture are like completely unable to intersect those two things and those two like different struggles I also think it's kind of irresponsible to have these mentions of class in a place like Michigan but completely exclude black people from that depiction and I think the point of that is like oh, even the suburbs aren't safe. Like, it sort of, you know, it does sort of address this notion of, like, safety because when the kids walk past 8 Mile to get to the community pool, they address, like, how kind of specious that is, that they, like, just randomly couldn't go to the specific area of the city. But, yeah, you're exactly right. Like, the question of, like, blackness and who occupies those specific areas of the city is completely left out left out yeah yeah and mentioning it uh because they put a point on class like you said that's very yeah um it's there is like some subtlety in it but it's pretty poignant that she that jay and kelly are like these like latchkey young adults who are like left to their own devices drinking on their front porch you literally never see their mom's face in focus you see yeah greg's like from the top in focus you see it like blurred from the top you see her hair you see her hand holding a drink, like, pouring liquor into her coffee. Like, she is made up of these class markers. She is not a complete person with an identity. Um, but, yeah, there's, like, it ta- something taking place in Detroit, something that does go past 8 Mile, and there's not a black people, black person to be seen amongst all of the people in this Yeah, movie. and it sort of feels like... That sort of feels like white saviory too, because it's like, yeah. oh, anything bad can happen in the suburbs too. It's not just in places where black people live, right? <laughs> We're afraid of stuff too. Uh, and, and they yeah, do I think... paint like Detroit as kind of this, like the suburbs look like John Carpenter, Edward mm-hmm. Scissorhands idyllic. suburbs. Like they're idyllic. They might be like a little banal, but they're safe. Like you know kids ride their bikes whatever but then when they move into like you know when they go south in the city like the city is like just a husk of itself which could make sense if there was like 
specific time markers that point to like you know the recession and I mean obviously there's an element of like you know anxiety post the 2008 great recession for sure but you can't leave black people and black culture in Detroit out of that narrative uh yeah especially like you're setting it in Michigan you make mention of Detroit so yeah I don't know uh what are you writing down over there I'm not writing anything. I'm just fidgeting. Um, Why? Am I boring you? No, I just fidget a lot. Uh, And this doesn't make any noise. But, uh, yeah, I don't appreciate. So, Greg is our brown man. Hot guy sexualizing men of color, as is usual. But he's he's a Costa Rican actor. Mm -hmm. Uh, And his name in the movie is Greg Hannigan. So, I don't know what the choice behind that was. I don't know. His dad is also not in the picture. Picture, um, He's got Disney princess syndrome. He's hot. He, like, they show him, like, before he has sex with Jay, he's, like, talking with girls in the cafeteria. Paul is very jealous of him and feels emasculated by his, pre- by his mere presence around him. Like, it just seems gross. I don't like it. Yeah, I think... And then he dies like, immediately and violently, is raped and, by and like it. a violent sexual act. Yeah, like an attack. That looks like his mom. Ew, it's so gross. I, like, can't even talk about it. And, like, the he's the only it that we see... The only time we see it murdering, actively murdering its victim. We don't it's, see Annie get killed. We just see her dead body, which is gruesome. Yeah and grotesque but we don't see the act of killing so the only time you see it killing its victim is a mother and son with the like father who's presumably a man of color conspicuously left out of the picture Mm -hmm. and the mother figure rapes the son to death violently in front of our eyes Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. we might have a race problem on our hands we always do you know (laughs) yeah Uh, i also think it's really like irresponsible coding that it's like a latina man that is like oh i have such like prowess with women it's just like nasty and one note and sexualizing yeah uh and i think it also has a problem with sex work and promiscuity in general is like the the characters and the victims are doomed by their promiscuity and freed by sexual violence, which like yeah. has something to say. But the fact that Jay goes to a sex worker, rapes a sex worker, um, yeah, and then Paul goes and Paul kind of goes washes to a sex worker because they're the less dead, right? Like what happens yeah. to them? He assumes that they'll pass it on before it becomes like dangerous to them, but he doesn't give them informed consent. He doesn't tell them what's happening and he washes his hands of it and returns to his suburban life where he can like be hold free hands to and... hold hands with Jay and walk down the sidewalk, right? That's gross. Um Yeah, I feel like it almost didn't feel like appropriate to this movie for that him to also like not even the sex workers are people of color. Like, this movie is so yeah. whitewashed. It's insane. I mean, but I would just... have a problem if the only black person on screen was the two sex workers we see. But at the same time, it's like, can see how they go to like... Detroit. 
an obvious place where white supremacy can shoehorn in an actor of color, right? And they, like, don't even do that, so. Yeah. Yeah. And Maybe what I'm saying is problematic, but I guess it's I mean, just, I like, wouldn't like it, but... And I one of like the girls either. in the, like, at the community college, she, she says, hello. That's her one line, is hello, because... Right, uh, Jay, Jay is like shouting screams. down the hallway but and yeah she's a woman of color but that's also like it's not like a character that's you're just like putting someone on screen to say that you did it it's not that's not yeah fair. I think this like in a post recession world uh, yeah this does a really good job of like separating class struggle for brace struggle which is something that white poor white you know, voters do well enough for themselves. You know, <laughs> we don't need this reinforcement. Um, I do love Yara is played by Olivia Lucardi, who's in Orange is the New I Black. I love her. Where is she She's in Orange fun. is the New Black? I don't remember She's her. like one of the like druggy girls from the newer season. She's always getting like punched in the face. Oh, I stopped watching after a while. It's not as good as it used to be. Um, the first couple of seasons were pretty juicy. Yeah. Orange is the New Black has its own problems, too. Don't get me wrong. but Yeah, we, speaking of race problems. Um, I don't know. What else do you want to talk about? It's only been 45 minutes. Wow. Wow. Um, I mean, yeah, I think this, this does a lot of good things good things and it talks a lot about consent and rape culture and like the omnipresent threat of sexual violence um to like female presenting women or lgbtq literally anybody but but um, also like the people that are like attacked the most prevalent victims of like sexual abuses and rape culture are black trans women and where are they mm -hmm. in this movie about rape culture nowhere uh, it's, yeah, it's like found. a pretty white young woman, and she is like I think, so pretty. It's so crazy. Uh, like her, I like love her face. Yeah, I don't know. She looks like a I white like girl. Yara's face. I like Kelly's face. Do you get a Yara's little, face is more interesting. Do you get a little like queer coding off of Kelly? I don't know. There, so yeah, the also like the idea of it is also really heteronormative, like. What do you consider sex? Like, what it? What does it consider sex? Like, is it only heteronormative relationships that transfer? Do you have it? to like? Does it have to be penetrative? Like, do you have to come? Like, yeah. What is it? What's the? What's the parameters? Only homers. No first, second, third bases. Yeah. Like, what about what do you mouth stuff? Right. Yeah. And then that speaks to, like, what about sexual relations between two women, between two men? Like, what is, like, right. what does it consider? Is it just the way the two people feel? That's all that you need. I don't know. But I'm getting the vibe that it's heteronormative, penetrative sex. That's and that is up. Yeah. wrong. That's not, like, the only form of sex that exists. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, so it's got its problems, but I think it's still kind of fun. I think it's a pretty good movie. I wish there were, yeah, more like 
class consciousness, but don't I wish there was more co- class consciousness in everything we ever across about. the board? <laughs> yeah. It also, I think, like the a young woman being afraid of death, and the first it that appears to her is like an old lady. That's like, and then her the last one is her dead dad. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's yeah. It's kind of yicky, but. And yeah, it has like a weird idea of death and like you have to get away from it at all costs, even if that means raping and dooming another person to death or nameless, faceless people that that person has sex with. It's like, I don't know, maybe it's just better to be taken by it than to like doom another person to that fate. It feels really selfish. Uh, But it doesn't stop if you, it just goes back. It just goes backwards. Yeah. I don't know. But then it would eventually stop. Or you could just pass it back and forth between a consenting partner forever and live yeah, a horrible life. Yeah, but does that life. work? <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. That's about all I got. Uh, yeah, I will say the premise is just so like beautifully simple and a lot of the versions of it are like really, really scary. So I scary. Think. Yeah, like, it's Why a scary are movie. they always wearing suspenders? It's so weird. They always wear white, which I think white, is fun, too. Usually, like, underwear. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's usually kind of, like, dingy looking. I do think the urinating woman in the kitchen is one of the scariest like, versions. <gasps> and she's got, fuck? like, her bra. It's also because she looks like a, she just got it sexually packed. assaulted. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. We should have probably said trigger warning because we've said, like, rape, like, 19 times so far. We can add a trigger warning at the beginning. We'll splice it in. Slice it in. Um, yeah, I don't know. I it's don't also, know. yeah, so Greg's mother appears, and then it, at the very beginning, when the, she's with Hugh in the factory, it appears as Mrs. Redmond there. So I want to know what... Oh, it's this got an Oedipal felt, complex. This Oedipal complex. I want to know what this director's relationship with his mother is like. With your mommy. What's going on with your mommy? But yeah, uh, it does definitely read as though it was made by a white guy, and it definitely was Laysai. I mean, you know, white guys. What can you do? They're here. The cinematographer um, is. I just looked it up and then I left the page like an idiot. Um, Way to look it up. Look it up. Mike Goylakis. Oh, yeah. He's the director of photography, too, right? Is that the same thing as a cinematographer? Don't ask me. I don't know. But he did Old, which I haven't seen yet. The new. I kind of want to watch it, but I don't want to pay to watch it. Shamalam. Yeah, he did Us. (laughs) Shamalam a ding dong. Ugh. And then he did not too much before this. I think this was like, everyone was like, oh, I got to get that guy after this. Oh, the um, eyes of Tammy Faye. I really want to watch that. It's on HBO. Uh, uh, freaks me maybe out. I'll watch that tonight. Uh, I know. I think Us is something you'll never convince me on. I just really like it, and I know you really. I hate didn't it. like it. Yeah, I yeah. Really <laughs> didn't like it uh, at all. That's. I don't. I don't know that I want to ever do that movie. I've got a lot of thoughts on it. Um, um probably unpopular to... opinions, but you know, what are you gonna say? I don't know. I I like that the whole concept of a horror movie hinges on something as dumb as Hands Across America. 
And I like the Chud connection. I think it's pretty good. It's so, it's like clunky. It is like the clunkiest story. It's like trucking along on two wheels. One of them is broken. I don't, yeah. <laughs> Lupita Nyong'o can't, you know, she can't fix everything. I can't just look at Winston Duke because he's really hot. You know, like I can he need did more. A bad job. He did a bad job acting in that movie. Like he's to the a, point where I was like, you, you're, you're, up. you're very, very hot, but like. What words are coming out of your mouth? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is like, yes, the ki- he's the kids, super hot. The kids were great, though. Kids were great. Um, convince me he's a good actor, though. I don't know. And I don't know. I gotta see more. I don't know. Maybe it's just that Tim Heidecker was in it, and I have like a real Heidecker problem. You do. I love <laughs> you got a Heidecker him. boner. You gotta put it away. Got a Heide boner. <laughs> All right. Uh, what do you want to fuck? Uh, fuck. Rape culture, sexual assault. Fuck STI stigma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we like barely touched on that, but like it ha- it's there. I mean, you don't need us. It's to around. Tell you. Don't worry about uh, it. Yeah, fuck sex workers being treated as the less dead and constantly violently victimized. Um, fuck. Uh, fuck cultural erasure. Yeah, and like the like. M- I don't know, like, the diversity, one of the most diverse cities in America is, like... There were, like, barely even with, people in this movie. There were a lot of people in this movie, like, even as extras. There were, like, but, I mean, yeah, our core five... Anyway, I don't know. Um, fuck overly sexualizing men of color and, like, representing them by giving one a role but then not doing anything about it, but demonizing yeah. them. So, yeah. Um, fuck. I don't know. But also, fuck David Zavato. In a nice way. In a nice way. He's very cute. He's a little um, poor little Kieran Gilchrist. Kier Gilchrist. I don't know. I could never have. He's. He is. He looks young. He's our he's my so age. Young. I could never. But he have looks sex very with him. young. He's like a little. Been a little boy. Um, he's like very thin and like short. Yeah, he's gonna look young until he like he's gonna be like one of those people who like looks really young and then it flips and he's like immediately an old man. You think so? Like think a Culkin. So. Like a Culkin, like a I'm sure that happened to like other short actors. Short well, live ha- actors before. Short kings. It hasn't happened to Justin Long yet. I think it never will. He's a perfect man. He's got the charm, you know? He's got the look. He's got the charm. <laughs> I'm not, I don't love Justin. I love Justin Long, but I don't really want to, like, yeah, fuck him. Nah. I just want to hold his hand. You just want to hold his hand. I just want him to tell me jokes. Give him a hug, yeah. Eat popcorn together. You did give him a hug. I did give him a hug. Oh, wow. And he met my dog. He met Frankie, which was really cute. Aww. I know. He was like, puppy. I was like, she will jump on you. And she did. She does jump. She's a jumper. She's like, She's I don't so care cute, that you're though. a celebrity. I love you. Her jumping is getting better. You'll see the next time you come here that she's okay. grown up a little bit. Yeah. She's a seasoned so old bitch now. All right. Uh, well, uh, you can find us. I remembered. You can find us at Spooky Ooh, I forgot the handle, though. At Spooky Succubus underscore cast on Instagram. 
that has our link tree to all our stuff. We're churning out bonus content, you know, like there's no tomorrow, which maybe there isn't. We don't know. Uh, and next week we're doing Jawbreaker, so <gasps> get excited. Can't wait. Wow. I, I love, love that movie. I know. All right. Um, stay ugly. Get fucked. Get fucked. Yeah. Love the spooky succubus cast. XOXO. Oh, wait. XOXO. Not Gossip Girl. Bye. (laughs) Bye.